From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. You're about to listen to our new show, The Groundsman Conversations, which is brought to you by Sports Digiter. Sports Digiter is a cloud-based presentation platform for rights holders, agencies, and brands that brings your story to life within immersive, exciting, easy-to-create proposals and presentations. Used by more than 50% of teams in the top leagues in the US, Sports Digiter's technology enables partners to ditch PowerPoint and Keynote and create powerful presentations of their own that provide tracking analytics to help you understand the performance of your prospecting, cutting through the crowded marketplace to win business. So go to sportsdigital.com to book your demo. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Groundsman Conversations brought to you by those wonderful people at Sports Digital. Today, I'm joined by my splendid fellow groundsman, Giles Morgan. Uh, how are you, Captain? Hi, Rog. Yeah, I'm, I'm in good order, actually. I'm feeling quite sharp. I like this sort of start to the new term, which I talked about in the last show. I just feel, despite the, the shite that's going on in the world, sport remains... Well, probably comforting for all of us because it's it's always there, but also the opportunities are, are still very much there. You know, that's quite interesting. I'm very, very tense as we record this. And this is the eve of the Celtic-Real Madrid game for people to put a, a timestamp on this uh, recording. And the manager of Celtic today, when he was asked whether people were getting ahead of themselves, thinking Celtic could actually beat Real Madrid, he said, I'm not going to burst that bubble because uh, people's daily lives is full of disappointments and delusions and burst bubbles. So uh, sport is about dreams and uh, they should come bu- uh, buzzing to the stadium tonight and let's hope we can send them away buzzing. And I think that was the interview of the year, if I'm honest, Giles. And I so agree with that. That takes me right back to the kind of Simon Barnes chat that we had six months ago, the the Ed Smith philosophy about why sport matters to people. And if you could bottle why passion and why people are so extraordinarily connected to their sports, and in your case, particularly football, but it can be others, but football will be the ultimate fan passion. That is that is something that it, it, you can't always define why, but sometimes it's as simple as it gives people hope. It gives people something to live for every week um, at a time when, particularly right now, um, things are scary in the world and yeah. prices are going up. But you know you can still watch your football your football team play on a Saturday, and if they win, it's wonderful. If not, it's disappointing. But at least you've got that. And yet, Giles, given that, you know, that loyalty and that kind of escapism is so front and centre, we still see sport and sporting clubs and franchises really struggling to know their audience. I know we've been on this for four years, but it's not getting that much better, is it? No, and, and you're right. We have been talking about it and working with some amazing companies who've either been on the show technology companies and it's probably because they're called tech companies that people slightly shy away from them because they're using the t word when actually if they rebranded themselves as 
audience companies, everybody would jump on their uh, on their on their bandwagon because actually most of the great technology companies, what they're doing and what they're offering and what they're trying to serve up, is either a way to better engage the audience, the fan or a better way to aggregate and to understand the fan. And the two have to go hand in hand. You can't, un- you can't aggregate an audience, you can't pull together in all the data and information if you don't have great content, if you don't have great um, what would be called fan engagement, I guess, by marketeers, in order to pull them in. But if you do both, you create an extraordinary insight into the psyche of human beings who have a lowest common denominator, which is a badge. And that is what certainly my old world of sponsorship was all about. But it's also what investors are all about. And this is not new news, what we've been talking about. And yet, and yet still, I, I think the penny has dropped, but I'm not sure people are understanding that the, what that penny dropping actually means, or many people aren't. And they get confused, they get muddled by the data world, they get turned off by the technology world and think, well, it's all for the geeks. It really isn't. It's as simple as, do you want to understand the fan? Uh, Probably yes. Do you want to monetize the fan by engaging them better? Probably yes. Well, then listen to this company XYZ. Yeah, um, I've just come from lunch um, and I'm rather sweaty because I ran up the hill late. Um, uh, with, Good effort um, to run, Rog. Was yeah, that, a, yeah, pasta, yeah, was that yeah. a pasta lunch as well? No, no, I had a cotoleta. Uh, my guest did have pasta. My guest being a representative of the new owners of Como Calcio, which are getting a lot of publicity these days through um, the, the shareholding of Thierry Henry and Dennis Wise as the chief executive. So I, I uh, they, they, they wanted to see me. We had a lovely lunch. We chatted about it. And, you know, one of the things I said to them, Giles, um, I said, I didn't even ask. I said, of course, you don't have any database, do you? You have no database of your fans. And they said, no, we don't. <laughs> and I said, um, you know, if you did have them and you did the demographics uh, analysis of them, you would find that uh, most of them were male, 50 plus, overweight. Um, and um, in the absolute center of what is called legacy fandom these days, um, and, you know, we talked a little bit about what Cuomo was trying to do. And obviously, like any any modern person buying a club, certainly not a, a marquee club, um, a place like Como, Verona, um, you need to be thinking about sports tourism. And, you know, when you do that, you need to know your client. You need to know not only your client, but their wives, how many children they've got. Uh, how often they travel, how they like to travel, uh, where they where they book their hotels. That's how you're going to get more and more of their ARPU. And that's the conversation we had at lunch. But, you know, they've come in and they've bought that and they're not unique. Every single one, even bigger clubs are like this. They don't have this, this data. They don't have the data. Uh, and, you know, one of the, the reasons that our guest today, which I will, will, will uh, introduce now, is so interesting is because, as you said there, he's using content and, and other tools on fan engagement to get data on fans to pass back to those clubs. I think uh, Lucas von Kranz, Kranatz at uh, OneFootball is, is not well understood by our industry. OneFootball as an organization, I don't think is well understood. It has got an enterprise value probably in unicorn status based on the last round of funding, which means 1 billion valuation. Um, people are, struggle to understand what their business model is. Um, they, they've seen OneFootball buy dugout 
uh, and with that, the shareholding of some of the biggest clubs in the world that owned Dugout. And they um, they really want to understand what this company is trying to do, what Lucas is trying to do. So that's why I wanted you with me today, Giles, because you and I are going to get really, you know, into the mud, into the weeds with Lucas, and we're going to try and sort out the narrative from the reality. Great, can't wait to can't wait to meet him because I've heard a, a lot from you about um, about him and about one football, and I know the background and how how he got to be involved. So bring him on. Excellent. So Lucas von Kranitz, welcome to Are You Not Entertained? Thank you for having me. Uh, let me introduce you to my co-host, the wonderful Captain Giles Morgan. Well, Lucas, it's a it's a pleasure to meet you. I've heard a lot about um, the One Football um, platform and um, dying to get sort of stuck into this. Um, what, what I think you're you're building is something that many many sports around the world could be try could try and emulate in terms of understanding audience and fans. So you've got you've got me you've got me at a hello. I think is the expression. <laughs> Thanks. Also, and the the funny thing is, like you know, I I was on the plane. I'm in Lisbon right now, and I've and you know who was sitting next to me for two hours. I just need to tell you because these are my little childhood dreams. Luis Figo. Wow. Oh, wow. So and you know, he I didn't want to talk to him because I felt embarrassed. But then he was sitting next to me, and he looked at my laptop, and he saw one football, and was asking me what is one football. So so what did I you tell him? Let's kick off there. What did you tell Luis Figo? What is one football? Fire away. So, so, so actually, the 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 thing is, it was a very good rehearsal for this podcast, and that's what I wanted to say because I need to, I needed to try to explain it as simple as possible, and that everyone understands, right? Because it's very easy to describe complex things in a complicated way so that everyone is entertained, but no one understands anything. So literally what, what we are, and that was always the, the ambition when I founded One Football, is the go-to place for football fans to consume all their content around football. And what we want to be is the 24-7 companion. So meaning, you know, I'm a, I'm a Cologne fan. I'm German, so my phone is in German. My, my One Football app is in German. And my match day and my week of a match looks completely different than yours, Roger, or yours, Jazz. Yeah. So, um, so, but you know, and I honestly, I don't care how your week of a football fan looks like in terms of what you consume. So we need to adapt to users' needs, and that's one of the main things I've started off with: is not thinking it through from a offering perspective but thinking it through from a fan perspective and say, what do I as a fan want on Friday when Cologne is playing on Saturday? What do I want on Saturday? What do I want so, on Sunday? So let me inter interrupt there. So at that point, I absolutely get that. Put the fan first. This is the fan journey for them on a bespoke way. When you were starting out, was it your own insight as a fan that was the kind of foundation stones of what you thought you wanted? Because as we all know in marketing, assumption is the mother of all fuck-ups. And it's very easy to assume that you think you know the answer. But did you start off by just putting your own Cologne football shirt on and going, what do I, Lucas, want? I mean, yes and no, right, Giles? When, you, when you're a football fan, you're not alone. So I have so many friends who had the same problems and challenges. 
and which was in 2008 when I founded OneFootball, we were one of the first thousand apps on iOS. Yeah? But before we were an SMS service, that was solving the, the first basic needs of providing scores to football fans on a cell phone, which you were carrying around with you all the time, right? Because remember back in the days, the only way how to consume football was either you go into the stadium or you watch it on TV or you listen uh, to it on the radio. But on the go, there was no possibility. You were always like, oh, when I come home, I know if they won or lost. So on the mobile phone is giving you the possibility to establish a direct to consumer relationship related to that specific need and necessity of wanting to have that content. So, and that's why, you know, I always distinguish one football from other social media platforms because we're not creating some something to then, you know, have an experience where people go back and back. The experience is happening offline. It's 22 players on the pitch. It's transfers. It's a stadium, a physical stadium. It's fan movements. And you want to be part of this. And this is predominantly, you know, what we solved from, from, from the first minute um, to provide this content as a 24-7 companion. And then you need to have data and stats, lineups, statistics, videos, editorial, news, etc. And and that's something which is quite difficult to build when you have want to have the full-blown experience um, around um, such an offer. So, Lucas, let, let, let's dig into this a little bit because I, I do think that one football is not well understood in the industry, despite the fact that when you think about it, um, is probably the premier uh, built from nothing um, value creation example we have in the sports industry. You're currently valued probably on unicorn status. Um, so it, this isn't Joe Paluca world. This is big bucks. But I believe that one football is both misunderstood and perhaps underestimated. And I think that comes from the fact that in every single market, you have got a slightly different offering. Sometimes you've got rights. Sometimes you've got OTT. Um, others, you've got content. Now you're getting into Web3. Can you try and explain to people what kind of like holistic company you're trying to create here? Yeah, so so um, for, for, um, the, the, the observation is completely right, Roger. So the, the thing is, you, what I always say is one football's strength is not one thing. It's the sum of things. So, and the sum of things you need to build in order to have a 24-7 companion for the football fan. But you cannot build the same experience with all the rights necessary in every single market on the planet. Yeah, And funnily enough, there are companies like Netflix and Spotify who are in the exact same challenge, but no one looks at us like such a company. For instance, you know, one of our advisors is Kelly Bennett. Who, he was the first CMO at Netflix and he was serving as their CMO for seven years. Everyone thinks that Netflix offering is globally the same. No, it's not. And especially at the beginning, they had to, you know, buy rights on a market by market basis. And the offering was in some markets better than in others. And at a certain point, and that was a funny story he told me, Netflix actually had massive problems and they almost went bankrupt. 
until the point where they decided just to go with everything they have into all markets independently of languages. And then they suddenly found out what the value proposition was in each market. And we're doing kind of an in-between. And what we want to achieve is in the end, um, the best experience for a football fan related to his or her needs. Example, you take a Hamburg fan in Germany. Um, that fan is probably served in the best way possible. Why? The Hamburg fan, number one, gets all the data, all the statistics, all the live scores on Hamburg. The Hamburg fan gets all the editorial opinion around Hamburg the, um, in, in, from several different partners. Um, this is the opinion. The Hamburg fan gets Hamburg official news because Hamburg is a partner of ours, so you serve the official news. The Hamburg fan can buy a single match on a pay-per-view basis where we're partnering with Sky. So for $3.99 in Hamburg, in, in Germany, this fan can buy that. And by the way, also in Europe, um, a Hamburg fan can then watch the highlight clips and the Hamburg fan can also watch the, the on a pay-per-view basis, the German Cup matches in partnership with um, Sky. And from January onwards, a Hamburg fan can also um, buy the Web3 assets in terms of highlight clips from the club. And additionally, and that's the final experience, a Hamburg fan can play daily fantasy sports um, on, on Spitch, where we have the official license for the Bundesliga globally, so for first and second division. So meaning we're providing this, this fan with everything this fan wants. And that's why the lifetime value of this particularly fan group in Germany is high two digits on a, uh, so sorry, the APU is on a 12 months basis is high two digits of this oh, wow. particular fan group in Germany. So now you say, take a Club America fan in Mexico. We have from everything I've explained, probably only 30%, but that doesn't make it a bad experience. It's just not the full experience. The fan is just is still served in a way that this fan is highly engaged and loves what we're offering. And then we just need to climb up the ladder in terms of offering more and more and more. And that's a market by market and region by region approach. And Lucas, I was going to ask you that. So I understand the fully immersive um, fan experience that the German club, like, like Hamburg, have where the fan gets everything they want. Yeah. And presumably as more technology comes on and more uh, c more fan engagement techniques come to the market, you're able to drop those in to, to, so that you're flexible and you're always up to speed. Talk us through then how this scaled and built up because you want to go league by league, club by club. There are markets in the world that don't have this. Presumably this is very replicable in other sports with other leagues. What's the sort of, how did you start this, this process of build? And then what's the future in terms of the big vision? And this is before so, I, this is before I uh, put my, get my checkbook out. <laughs> so, so um, again, a very good question because the, the, the thing is, you know, first you need to try to find value propositions where you don't have to go market by market or club by club. Yeah. So that's why um, in the first step, I didn't look at, localization i looked at languages yeah so providing um the english premier league in english 
globally in terms of data stats, editorial videos, and editorial news is tick boxing so many boxes, right? You're ticking so many boxes where you provide already a massive um, fan experience because again, we're not a publishing business. Yeah, so we're aggregating content from more than a thousand different partners. And by the way, we're acting with integrity. That's our number one core value at One Football. that every piece of content you see is contracted. We're not crawling any content. We're not stealing any content. Every piece of content is on a revenue share basis. If we run advertising through it, shared with the respective club league federation, player, blog publisher, rights holder, or rights holder. So, and this content provision we get then obviously leads to usage and engagement. So, and then you, you start um, like in a country like Germany, we suddenly saw, wow, we have massive engagement on a fan by fan basis. Let's try and go, you know, deep in the German market. So now what we did, we cut the planet into three regions, Americas, EMEA and APAC. And in each of the regions, we have core markets. Yeah. So, for instance, in the Americas, we have the US, uh, Argentina, Brazil, and Mexico. And we have the rest of region, because when we serve the content in that region, in Spanish, English, German, whatsoever, you will also find Germans in Brazil who are using one football in German, because you are giving them the same provision, but you then might not have the rights in Germany. Uh, sorry, in Brazil, in 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 for a specific region. So, meaning the approach, and that's that's something which is super complex, right? Um, but you manage it if you have um, if you are in the position to operate in a matrix organization um, when it comes to content. But you have to operate it in a, in a GM organization, so localized when it comes to the business. Otherwise. You, you won't get uh, the global scale. That's, so, that's so interesting, Lucas. You know, um, this is the kind of theory you get when you study at business school, how Procter & Gamble run their business and things like that, and Matrix, as you say. Um, I, I think that's not for this podcast. I think that's more to deep business. But let me ask you something that is for this podcast. Maybe, maybe Roger, on, on this one, we should then take my CFO, group CFO, Jörg, on board, who was 20 years um, executive at Procter & Gamble. Oh. Exactly go. is, you know, part of this. And that's why I'm saying organizational design. That's one learning I also get from Kelly Bennett from Netflix. Organizational design is always wrong because you start with matrix, then you go for localization, then you go for matrix, then you go for localization. You switch, right? And you constantly switch because the model is then better or worse. And yeah, I yeah, you, do, you, you do switch, Lucas, but you know what the ultimate arbiter is? Profitability. Yes. Um, and I want to ask you, um, in your, let's say, top three or four territories that you've listed there, are you guys making money or is this all we want to be one or we want to be? Are you profitable? We're highly profitable and we're already highly profitable with out of our four business models, advertising, OTT, OTTS2 is advertising and, um, and paid, um, um, daily fancy sports and Web3. Yeah, so we have four business models and we're already highly profitable in five of our core markets just with two business models. And that's the thing, the, the currency, the main currency, and that's where we're strong, 
is the direct access to the customer based not on marketing, based on having built an amazing product, which makes the people use it. And then we're upselling the users in a fair way, not in a bundle, to what specifically they're looking for in connection with their emotional interest, which is a particular club, a particular player, a particular league, a particular match. And that's how you need to do it. But the foundation is the access to the user base. I get that. So here is the golden question then, given that you're doing this. Um, would a club look at you as a threat because you own their fan base? Would a club look at you as a friend or somewhere in the between, like Sir Martin sort of would say, a frenemy? What is your relationship with the ownership of the fan and the clubs? So an, another great question, Roderick. So this differs. <laughs> Welcome to Ain. Welcome to the yeah. NFL. So, so this, club, <laughs> this, this, this differs on a club-by-club club basis. That's unfortunately the answer, right? So, but, um, and it differs from um, an enemy, a friend or a friend of me. Yeah? So it's really where, if, where there are people who understand what we're building, we're friends. Where the people who are scared of what we're building were the enemy. But the thing is, and 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 that's what I what I constantly try to tell the clubs. What we do at One Football and what a club does in terms of content is always a symbiosis. Why? Because the club will never report on a rumor. They will never show an opinion because they can't. A club would not write, oh, hi, maybe in a week we're going to fire our coach. Or, oh my goodness, this player was playing awful last weekend. You will never read that on a club site. So that's why you will. the opinion always happens outside of the club. So and now, and that's the, the, the magic, is that we're just talking owned and operated. Forget about social media if you take owned and operated so let's say a fan base of a club and this is an example the numbers are not right i'm just exemplifying a club like barcelona yeah let's assume they have one million fans in their owned and operated on their platform coming back on a monthly basis and in their database right we have if you take this one million of this particular club, which is a assumed number, not the right numbers, we always have, have three to 10 times their audience on one football. So now what we're doing is we're saying, listen club, when you, let's join forces, we're happy to give you the, let's say now with sticking to Barcelona, they have one, we have five, just as an example, we're telling them we're happy to, to give you for free these 5 million customers. GDPR compliance. So in an onboarding, when one foot, when you download one football and let's say Roger says, I'm a Barcelona fan, I um, have a double opt-in, GDPR, GDPR compliant. I'm asking you, Roger, are you okay with me sharing your data also with your favorite club? By the way, more than 90% of our user base says yes. For sure, for sure. So, which is the case? This is not made up. This is the case yeah, yeah. with marketing consent. So now I'm going to the club and say, listen, I'll give you all these. You give me content. 
and I don't even want any money. But if you grow the ecosystem and we're all doing this together and you're sharing less content on social media where you don't have any value of this, we're building the ecosystem. That's what we constantly say. One football is building the ecosystem with and for the ecosystem and not on the back of the ecosystem. So, so Lucas, let me, let, let, let me ask you this. So in my former life, you won't know this, but I, I ran sponsorship for HSBC um, internationally for, for 12 years. So I was a buyer and people used to laugh uproariously at my jokes in the vain attempt to get yeah. HSBC's logo on their football shirt. Um, so, I'm laughing at your joke. But thank you very much. But unfortunately, you're not responsible for this. I'm useless to you now, Lucas. Okay, you don't need to okay, laugh at all. Enough. Don't you worry at all. But, um, but, it, but it's nice to have an audience. Um, I, I, I wonder this. You wield enormous power therefore because that three five ten times fan knowledge particularly and you're quite right the official fan base the official club site whoever it is will always get the sanitized version of the club because it has to Mm -hmm. and it can't get involved in the feral nature of of football that roger talks about a lot but the fan base from a, a broader platform can which gives you the sentiment and it's the emotional knowledge for me, of the fan, as well as the demographic and geographic knowledge of the fan that is so important. That makes you a pretty powerful power broker to Mm -hmm. the clubs. And supposing, let's say for the sake of argument, a very major multinational wanted to sponsor a club, say in Germany, because I know that's your sweet spot, and they came to you first, is there a transactional value? Obviously, you might want them to sponsor something within your platform, but actually they want to go for a team. Um, you, you become the, 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 the kingmaker, don't you? So, first of all, power is great when you don't misuse it. So, and, and that's the reason why I wanted, to, before I answer your question, I wanted to have alignment of interests with the clubs. That's why the biggest football clubs uh, are my shareholders. Um, in numbers 12 and the German Football Association because I wanted to show them that I'm not misusing this power. So, and if you would have been the the, the person who would run uh, sponsorship at HSBC, you would come to me and say, Lucas, thank you because we have a product called Boost. So, and what we're doing is that the clubs sell our combined audience on their owned and operated, and one football's owned and operated. And we do that, for instance, very successfully with Borussia Dortmund, with Tottenham. We had we ran amazing campaigns with uh, Manchester City, where the sponsorship people from the club, where we have, by the way, now our own one football people sitting in the clubs and supporting the clubs. Um, with that view where they go to a sponsor and say, listen, to stick to the example of Barcelona, 1 million, 1 football, 6 million, they don't go and say 1 million and some random social media hundreds, trillions. They say 6 million owned and operated and verified. So the sponsor says, oh, wow, that's amazing. And by the way, brand safe because on one football and the club, no racism, no hatred, no um, piracy. Why? Because on a club side and one football, no user-generated content. 
So it's not only that the, the sponsor gets access to 6 million customers, the sponsor also finally manages to sponsor and place advertising in a brand safe environment alongside yeah, okay. the official club's content. Okay, Lucas, but how, how do you split the money on that? Because you, you've added to the sponsorship. Is there a deal up front about how you split the sponsorship? So it's a deal up front. Yeah, so we go to a sponsor, an existing or new sponsor, and it's additional. It's incremental revenues. So and then we have a deal with each club, which is the same, but I'm not allowed to share the details. Okay, Okay, so, listen, so let, attractive. Let, it is so attractive, Roger, that the clubs are doing it, right? So all right, right. No, listen. Th this is what I'm going to play back to you. What I've heard in the last in the last 25 minutes. I see you like this. Sport and football has never been good about knowing its audience. It's always struggled with the database uh, problem. You know, the Spotify Barcelona deal. Everybody talks about that because they didn't have a database. You're doing that for the clubs. And I believe what I'm hearing is that you are offering the clubs a cost of customer acquisition that is incredibly low in the way that you do it. You basically take all the work out for them uh, and you get rewarded only on revenue share. That would be the first thing I'll say. Then the second thing. Disclaimer, disclaimer. Sorry for interrupting, Roger. Yeah. I have the attention to split revenues on advertising, yes. But I don't have the intention to split revenues on the club's core businesses, which are the direct-to-consumer businesses, which is merchandising, ticketing, membership. I want to support the club in identifying and reaching out to their fans on one football for free to then drive them to their funnel to them. I get that. I, think, I get that. And in return, I'm just asking for content, which is not everywhere. I get, I, listen, Lucas, I get that. I'll come back to the fight that I see you. If we think that the world today in all serious businesses is a very simple formula, which is lifetime value is greater than cost of customer acquisition. I see you, and I'm thinking this through and playing it back, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm seeing you as very cheap cost of customer acquisition and supercharged lifetime value. Is that your business model? 100%. And you know what? Um, we have, when we talk about lifetime, I think we're the only ones from a platform perspective who can talk about lifetime because you know what? You're a football fan for life yeah. and you are not a, and that's again, I, I'm, I'm not saying anything bad. It's just an observation. Facebook won't be a product you use for your whole life or Snapchat or, you know, they come and go. And that's okay because that's how the, the internet works, that an experience is suddenly super hot and then everyone uses it. And then after a couple of years, it's less interesting. I mean, it doesn't mean that it's not used at all anymore, but then there's something new. We will have lifetime value of a customer when we provide this user with all the services I've mentioned because I don't change my love to Cologne. I stick to this club until the last year, till, till my last breath. So if you provide me with all the content I want, with all the direct-to-consumer offers in a fair way, I'll stick to one football until the rest of my life. Lucas, let me ask you something, maybe more and more marketing, um, sort of brand 
side um, because I get what you, I, I get the more than the vision. I know this is a, a very operational business and I really do get it. And I really applaud you for everything that you've built. But one of the things that can happen is that fans of anything, but particularly football fans, can get quite um, anti-establishment. Is there ever a danger that you become so ubiquitous and so big and so much the platform for the world of football that people want to break away because you are you you almost become the establishment? So I I, I can give you one hundred thousand percent certainty that this will not happen. Why? Because for instance, my chief product officer um, Ishmael, he was the chief product officer of Ticketmaster before. I said. You are the chief user officer. You are the ambassador of our customers. So, and you will make sure that everything we do is first and foremost working for the user. Because I always say money follows the best experiences. If we try to earn money first, we'll never build a great experience. And we will never build a great experience if we're doing it for the people who want to earn money. So we need to build a great experience for the fan. So, and for sure, you know, that's that's the part where I'm saying our number one, our number one core value at One Football is to act with integrity. So, and this is, um, you know, I've learned it from many people. Culture comes from the CEO. Yeah, you can't give that away 100%. to a market. So 100%. that's me. That's me. So as long as I'm with One Football, I will want to make sure that we're acting with integrity towards everyone because we're doing it to the ecosystem, the clubs, the leagues, the federations, the players, the blocks, the publishers, rights holders, rights owners. They all get a fair split. They all get the same access. And we're doing that in a fair way. And to the user too, because we are in Germany. We're based in Germany. Germany has the highest data regulations and rules and regulations. If, and our users are protected that we're not selling their data to third party without consent because we can't. I would be in prison tomorrow if, if I would do that. And that's what I'm saying. We act with integrity and we do it to both sides of the business. And as long as we do that, we will build this platform for the fans. And yes, we will have bargain power and marketing power. But then the question is, do you use it or you do you don't use it, but if we misuse it, our users are gone tomorrow. Good point. Um, that you know, that's I read over the summer um, holiday a book about the history of Reddit, and you know, mm-hmm. and dig before that. As soon as you do something strange, the users are gone. But I've got a question for you, and this is going to be our sponsor question. Um, our wonderful sponsor, Sports Digital, sports presentation company. But this is a really, really interesting question. You know, you're setting yourself out as the hub, the aggregator, the one-stop shop, the 24-7. Up until, um, well, today in one point, but two months ago in another point, I felt you had a couple of gaps in that. One was fantasy. And I don't know if you've announced this, but you threw in a speech a, a minute ago. So you, you've made an acquisition in fantasy. And the second one, uh, which we'll talk about, I think, at length, is Web3, um, which, whether many people don't like this or not, it is very attractive. Uh, digital uh, goods, virtual props, emotes, uh, that is where the younger kids are spending their money. I felt you were missing the two of them. So tell me a little bit about your acquisition in fantasy 
and knock yourself out on the day that you launched the Serie A Web3 uh, proposal. Tell us all about that, Lucas. Yeah, so so uh, again, our, our move into daily fantasy sports was not um, first and foremost looking at it from a business value proposition. It was about the fact that I believe that if you do daily fantasy sports in the right way, which is, by the way, not the back, the betting angle. So we're not taking the betting angle. We're really looking at it as an engagement tool where people can, for sure, connect it to their skills, put down money, and then win. But you need to do it in a way that winners are welcome, right? So, so that's why I love the approach because, you know, the, the Klopp family, Jürgen Klopp, they were co-founders of the business. Um, um, and he's still the face of Spitch. And we we cut an, Amer an amazing deal because the Spitch team and the existing shareholders understood the value of bringing the two worlds together. Because we have more than 100 million users. We're, we're acting with integrity. We have we're brand safe, et cetera. So we actually provide so much value to the user and daily fancy sports um, by the way, is again um, a very um, technical term of actually a very beautiful experience. And we're always good when we're just describing technology. Yeah. It's descriptive and not you're not taking the emotions, you're describing what it is. Um, so that daily fantasy sports has to be part of our mix. And yeah. now what we can what we can tell is we are, you know, probably one of the five biggest daily fantasy sports. Um, platforms out there um, globally um, if you take the user base and um, the numbers are growing. And again, it's the same about OTT, which was our first direct-to-consumer business. Content becomes the currency. We're not selling any jerseys. We're not selling um, any you know, physical goods. We don't need logistics, right? So what we're doing is we're giving a content experience, which in this case is called daily fantasy sports, which is engaging users around the football match. And it's a, it's a very, very good experience. So now it's about, you know, integrating that more into one football and vice versa. So content meets commerce, commerce meets content, right? I always said that commerce is moving towards content in order to increase the lifetime. Content sure. moves towards commerce in order to increase the value. Right. So and we're actually now doing both, but we have four direct to consumer business models and um, and daily fancy sports is obviously something, you know, where I see it's not for everyone and that's OK. But if it's just 10 percent of our user base, then it's 10 percent of our user base and we should. And it's our duty to give them everything around football they want to have and they want to experience. So and the next thing. On, on Web3, where, you know, unfortunately, you said no, not a lot of people like it. And I, I believe, and I mean it in a very empathetic way, people don't like what they don't know. And it's unfortunately a very European thing. If you don't know and you don't like it, you say it's really bad, you know, and then you don't give it a chance. And that's okay, you know. Um, from and and again, I understand it. And what we what we did again, and we meaning, um, I, I cannot take full responsibility for that. But 
the, the people who have created the blockchain have created something which is truly amazing. It's an internet where you don't have centralized experiences. It's an internet where the user can and you know has to control um, his or her own data. It's 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 an internet where um, ownership of content is possible, which was never the case before. Um, what the blockchain creators, from my perspective, did not do great is explaining the blockchain in a way that everyone understands it. And that's the, the, the challenge we did in, with Web1 is when we start with www.http, megabytes, mbytes, modem, um, I don't know, like all these terms where people are like, oh my God, the internet. Yeah. And I remember, you know, my father saying the, the internet will never succeed. Right. I mean, like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Because it was explained in a way from technical people and engineers who are describing a solution, uh, who are describing the, the, um, the, the, how they build it and what it is, but not what it solves. So, and, and this is something we're trying now to actually turn where we say, listen, it is something you've learned in the real world. You buy something and you get something and you can do with it what you want. And I always take the example of a Beatles LP 30 years ago. You went into a store and bought it for, for 30 euros and you didn't go into a store and said, oh, streaming service. 1499 and then you just could take whatever you want we were buying these and not only to listen also to have it and to own it right. and to put it in your shelf because you're proud of it to have it so and we've lost that because we were yeah, not lucas lucas let, 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 let me ask the question that everybody asks uh, you know you 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 you're involved uh, in digital collectibles um, in the Bundesliga and Serie A. Um, how do you answer the right click, like click JPEG question? How do you answer, oh, I can get that off YouTube? There's That is what is dominating our industry just now. What do yeah. you say to that? Yeah, so, so you could listen to the Beatles song on the radio, right? Yeah. So why did you both buy, why did you buy the LP? So that I could listen to it exactly when I wanted to. Exactly. And collect it. Exactly. And collect it. And you know what? You were free to take the Beatles LP and play Frisbee with it. You could have given it as a present. You could have sold it. You could have just broke it. You decide. And the Beatles LP is you own the physical asset, but the IP is still with the Beatles. Sure. Or the record that's company. That's what we're replicating today. So, and again, I'm not saying that everyone wants to have, you know, digital assets. It's fine. You know, some people were always listening to the radio and never had any LPs at home, but that's okay. You know, but now what we have is multiple things which are actually more valuable. So your Beatles LP over years is probably not being the same if you don't really like, you know, treat it amazingly well, right? This digital good will always be there and infinitely. The ownership is infinitely. And what we also have is that it's trackable and traceable and that the IP owner shall and will always earn when this, when this digital asset is resold, yeah, which is great. 
And also now when the Beatles sold 1 million LPs, they didn't know who their, their customers and who their fans are. Now they know. And now they can build relationships. Now they can build a community and say, for instance, from the 1 million LP owners, which is now this asset, let's say the digital piece of music, 1 million, I raffle 10,000 tickets to my next concert. I raffle jerseys. I can give my community love besides selling them something. And that is what everyone gets wrong, that everyone thinks, oh, now it's the next rush, someone buys an IP, IP and then it's just about commercializing it. That's wrong. If you do it that way, it's not sustainable. Well, you know, Lucas, what you've described is a, a very um, fluent and um, understandable view of Web3, of blockchain and the new value. And, and, and I hope people and the listeners listen to that. There's only one other person who I think you'll meet in a couple of weeks in Italy, Caroline Rowland, who will, who will absolutely endorse everything that you're saying about why collectibles, why being a fan matters, because... There are a lot of people, me included. I'm uh, I'm a self-proclaimed luddite, um, which is ironic given the uh, work I do with this podcast of understanding tech. And tech is frightening. Um, technology is frightening, and a, a little bit like physics for me at school was pretty scary because I didn't understand most of it until someone explains it well. And once people start to explain it well, and this is where I think the fault lies with the technology industry, is the tech industry is particularly in sport, is notoriously bad at explaining what is complicated, but explaining it simply. Because what you've just done has done, and maybe using a good analogy like um, the Beatles and an album, which is a a very clear asset, which we would all have owned if we'd bought one, um, is incredibly important because this is the future, right? This This isn't a negotiation. It might not be the future. This is the future. So people need to understand it, but it's going to be people like you um, providing the translation that makes it less scary. But I think, I think you know, it, uh, translation, Jads, is, is something, you know, now in our context, right? In a B2B context. I don't, if I, if, if I need to explain something to the user, I lost. Yeah? So, and I always say the best products are where you don't see any tech. So when you go to our Serie A marketplace, you don't see any NFTs, Web3, blockchain whatsoever. Yeah. The only thing we have, and that's given we're very early in the days of the wallets, is that unfortunately it is not a super easy, straightforward process, but it's actually quite easy if you take into consideration that it's super new, that it's a consumer-facing, um, user-centric approach to sell digital collectibles to these people. You're more than invited, by the way, to go to ERA at One Football, both of you, and go through the process. It is, again, not perfect, but it's a great start. And compared to everything else I've seen on the blockchain, it's an amazing user experience. And that's our ambition, you know, where, where I'm saying if someone expects from me and from us that we're going to do everything right and build the best product with no technical issues, it won't happen because you need to start somewhere. But do I have the ambition in the same what I'm doing in Web2 to build the best experience? Yes. So in the end, 
our users of OneFootball should not see if it's Web 2, Web 3, daily fantasy sports. It is just an experience. They should not see, oh, here's an OTT offering. Here's a Spitch offering. Here's a Web 3 offering. It's an experience. And it's based on content. And I dare say that Johannes uh, Gutenberg in 1440 had to have the, have the same explanation about the first ever printing press. He probably t- took him a while to explain to people that the monks didn't have to handwrite all the, the manuscripts. So really, you're just you're, 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 you're following in great footsteps. Dear, dear Giles, <laughs> may I tell you something which most of the people don't know? My ancestor was the first one to print before Gutenberg. Wow. Uh, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Lukas Kranach is a Renaissance painter. He's I very know, famous. So, and he was printing on their own print before Gutenberg with Martin Luther, the Bible, a thousand times. And, and Kranach was doing the illustrations. Wow. And, and Luther translated the Bible from Latin. Listen, into- Lucas. I've got this phrase that um, I always believe that people need an edge or a chip in their shoulder. You know, the phrase chip in the shoulder equals chips in the bank. I've now found out what your chip is, (laughs) is that that your guy didn't get the credit. That was driving you to create a unicorn. (laughs) He didn't. He didn't, really. I mean, and he was an amazing entrepreneur. And they How proud he would have been that. 700 years later that his... No, uh, it's, and it's 500, no, 600 years later. So, all right, in I'm not very good You go there, there's a printing machine where they printed the first thousand books, which was the Bible, not Gutenberg. Wow. wow. Listen, good, Lucas, well, I'm, I'm, um, I've got a couple beautiful. of um, important questions before we wrap up, but I think they are important. Um, you're talking about a community. You mentioned 100 million uh, you're talking about a one-stop shop, uh, brand loyalty, fan loyalty. Mm-hmm. Um, the only other person I see doing that um, is Overtime. Uh, and, and Dan Porter, you will meet um, if you haven't already in Como. How do you place one football as a brand, as a brand um, vision compared to what he's doing with Overtime? And as you know, he's now moving into the ownership of leagues. Um, so so I, I believe that the best brand positioning is where you serve most of the customer's needs. So if you need a brand and a brand value proposition to ensure that, um, like as a foundation, I think that's very dangerous. So I think a brand and the brand values and the brand purpose can support. But first and foremost, it's about building the best product. So, and, and what we're doing again, and that was what we, you know, how we kick this off is providing the fan along the value chain, along the different business offerings, along all content with the best value proposition on a 24 seven basis. Uh, and Lucas, I have a question oh, with, as we talked earlier, um, fan experience, fan engagement, different techniques happening all the time. People are inventing brilliant new things every single day. Mm-hmm. Supposing someone has a brilliant fan platform that could be universal to every club and they mm-hmm. come to you because you are the universal aggregator. How does it work then that they may have something that every club may want, but you can be the, the conduit into them? Does it, is there a model there? Um, can you tell me which one that would be? 
I, I, I haven't invented it yet, but I'm, 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 I don't have any forebears. All my forebears were Welsh farmers, unfortunately, so they're no use to me at all. But I, I just wonder if yeah. in the future, in, in, in a year's time, some brilliant technology comes out of Hong Kong. I'm making it up, but yeah. absolutely connects fans in the right way that would be a... Is that something that you can entertain and, and bring in? Because you're, clearly your value is distribution. So, so, yeah, but it, but it's both, you know. So, so I, I'm I'm saying I'm, I never said that we're a one-way street. So I just yeah. say I don't want user-generated content. And what we'll definitely do is, for instance, one of our products we're building. Um, it's actually today we've launched our CCTV app, so um, that we're available on big screens. Is that imagine an experience, and that's you know where I say like I'm, I'm not giving you my product roadmap, but imagining an experience where you buy a live match for let's say five euros yeah so and it's cologne against bayern munich so and i can upgrade the five to ten euros and invite invite five friends and i'm going to invite um three cologne fans my friends and i'm going to invite uh two bayern munich friends my friends so then you see this what we have is a zoom call with six People in there, three against three. Give them a watch party. Give them a chat room. In the middle, you see the match. On the left-hand side, you you play speech. So that's okay, right? And that's why I'm saying that's fan engagement. It's one-to-one, one-to-many, many-to-many, but in a controlled way. The the, the challenge just today is if you you give in an uncontrolled way, many-to-many, then you get racism, piracy, hatred. And no one can control that. And the thing is, you already, if you want to have full control on social media, already when people are typing, sorry for using one word, asshole, as example, when they're typing already, you need to take that word down. But that's impossible, especially when you have hundreds and hundreds of million users. So fan engagement, we will allow for. And to your question, I believe this platform should not exist if we do everything right. Yeah. Okay. Lucas, last question. You, you mentioned games there. Um, your policy, your strategy so far on rights has been opportunistic. And I would say, mm-hmm. um, like many people, not wanting to put down big money in the old traditional way. Um, going forward, as you say, you want to have the best fan experience for everybody. Is that a Rubicon you're prepared to cross sooner or later to buy serious rights? But that, that if, if I may say, Roger, that's the wrong question to ask. Okay. Because the right question to ask is what makes sense in which market related to which audience? So, and I tell you, if there's, for instance, a right which is perceived as the best right, yeah, let's say, uh, and I'm, I don't want to name any leagues or so, but let's say there's one country which is asking for one league in one country for one billion. And I can do the simple math. And I tell you, I won't be profitable. Do I need to spend this one billion for three years? So three billion plus marketing production which I, where I end up at roughly 4 billion when I know I'm not profitable. And yes, I might miss out these 5 million fans. And I'm super sorry, dear fans in this country related to this asset that I can provide you with this piece of the experience. 
But you know, if I would do it, I would sacrifice it for all users because I put my business at risk. You see, I think that's the, the absolutely the best way to end. Um, I think in that last answer, there's a great, there's a great lesson there. Uh, we've talked about it many times about this world is becoming now one where people are going to have to justify return. They're going to have to justify the cost of rights, the cost of programming, the cost of content. Um, you've heard a guy running um, a billion, a billion dollar business tell you that he will say no if the price doesn't work for him. So exactly, and and maybe just to add on that one, Roger, because that's important. You know, people say, "How many users have you got?" I should always ask, "In which country? What's your engagement like? In which country? Are you profitable? In which country?" Because the thing is, if you look at a business like ours with all numbers accumulated, you're looking at a business at the from the wrong way, right? If you look at Netflix or Spotify or these businesses, they have markets where they're not profitable. That's why they're still losing money because they're growing. So, but meaning when you when you've proven in five different companies countries with complete different cultures that your business model works, then you get number six, number seven, number eight. But then I'm not stopping investing in companies like in countries like India and Indonesia. We have massive fan base, but I can't monetize them now. Yeah, um, Lucas, that is amazing. Uh, we're going to wrap up now, but I think everybody has been absolutely enlightened. I'm delighted that I've hit my objective. My objective was to give a little bit of clarity to a company that I think, as I said at the start, has been misunderstood. Um, I think there's a lot of key messages that I come out of that that are very, very clear now. Lucas, how can people follow yourself and One Football and the the offspring brands of One Football and Web Three, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Give us some ways that the listeners can can get in touch with you guys. Um, so I don't want to build a cult around the person. So I, I'm luckily the run the one running it. Um, so uh, if you follow me, uh, you you uh, except for LinkedIn, you won't get anything from me because I'm a very person private person um but if you want to see what we do just use one football right and use uh the product and use um uh, look at our marketplace uh which we've just launched around web3 so and and that's you know where you can see what we do is when you experience one football absolutely wonderful Lucas, thank you so much for your time. I know you're an incredibly busy man. This is the day that you launched in Italy. So I can't tell you how grateful that you've taken a part of your, your day today of all days to dedicate to our, you know, entertained. Thank you so much. Sure. And Lucas, from, from me, thank you, because you uh, have you have given me, as this show does, I feel very privileged is that I get to be a host, but every single show I get educated and you have uh, absolutely accelerated that for me. So thank you. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thanks uh, also. And looking forward to seeing you soon. And yes, come on. it's going to be wonderful. And thank you for everything about that. Thank you. Take care, Lucas. Wonderful. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Well, uh, I think that went well, Giles. Well, you know, it was very good. He, he he kept it simple. He kept it very, very clear about what his business is doing. But for me, it opens all sorts of thoughts in my head, which I'm sure we'll be discussing at length at the Sports Summit in, in Como, which is about the future of sport. You can see one football growing and growing at, at the rate it already is. But what price one cricket? What price one rugby? And rugby, my God, it needs new revenue streams. Well and uh, 
that there are probably many, many sports that could borrow that model, or maybe he'll just diversify into other verticals. So um, that was a, a bit of a masterclass. It was for those, I think our listeners are very often mired in the sports, in the sports business of, of our industry. And that is very much for me, a, a crystal balling of how the future may well look. Wonderful. Let's wrap it up, Captain. Um, thank you as always. Um, thought it was a, an excellent chat. Uh, contributions were great. Um, let's wrap it up and tell people how they can find us and follow us. Well, they can find me um, at Giles Morgan seventy one. That's it. And uh, and I look forward to hearing from people. And of course, um, it goes without saying, please review these shows. It, it does matter to us, and we also want feedback. And if people don't like what we're saying, if they think that one of us is being <laughs> obstreperous or dull, uh, do tell us and we'll probably ignore you. <laughs> and uh, on that note, no, you can I follow me same uh, RPM. <laughs> they'll, never say, they'll never tell you to bugger off. Rog, RPM ever. Como as in the lake. As in the lake. Cheers, Rods. That was fun. Yeah.